we're going to get right into lots of ground to cover next week. Every shot next week. Next week is the last War Horses installment, all right? How many of you are like, phew, I'm done with Revelation? Now, how many of you are like, let's keep going in Revelation? How many of you have gotten something that's out of this? Okay, cool. That's so good to know. Well, we're going to end it anyways. Um, so we've got, we've got a lot of work to do. I'm really excited because we're going to be hopping into our uh, Christmas season around here. And uh, we're going to be digging into just some ha- ad hoc stuff, but we're calling it the invitation. And the whole idea is this Christmas season, this Advent season, this is the question I want to ask us. What is God inviting us into? This Christmas season, what is God inviting us into? Because I don't think he's inviting us into hustle and bustle. I don't think he's inviting us into uh, pandemonium and chaos and all the things that we do. I think he's inviting us into something else this Christmas season. And so we're going to explore that over the month of December. And then I do have to say, uh, our Sabbath Sunday, which is going to happen on January the 1st, uh, it's all online. We have no services on Christmas Day, and we have no services on the 1st of January. It's all online, so we want to invite you online. Um, but we have Christmas Eve services, just so everybody knows. Um, I remember, we got Christmas Eve. Um, lots of Christmas Eve services. Stay tuned for information about that. Uh, lots of info coming out, but I just want to highlight that there will be no services on those two days, but get online with us January 1st because we had a lot of fun uh, filming and getting ready for Sabbath Sunday. We pulled out our inner Jimmy Fallon. And uh, yeah, it gets a little wild. So I just want to invite you guys online for that. But here we go, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. You love your Bible? You ready for some more? And it says this, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. It says, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the amen. This is really important for us. At the, at the beginning of this, I want you to just really listen to these words because um, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. And today I will say this. Uh, typically in these messages concerning the churches, we've ventured off into various places and spaces of Scripture as well. Uh, we're actually going to stay pretty contained and locked down into these verses right here today because there's so much to glean and extract from it. So it says, right to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Jason's translation is the OG of creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. I'm going to pause right here because this is probably one of the most contested pieces of Scripture as to its meaning in almost all of Scripture. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have a church background? Doesn't matter your denomination, but you, you, you maybe a little bit of a church background. Okay, many of us in here. Uh, this particular piece of Scripture was taught a lot in youth groups. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are still scarred from this particular piece of Scripture. And uh, I want to clarify, so there's a lot of commentary that, that circulates around these few verses about the idea of being hot or cold and lukewarm. And many of you have heard this teaching before that a, a lot of people taught it in a way that uh, God would want us either hot, and, and then that's where we heard these terms, on fire for Jesus, yeah. or cold. Yeah. And there's some commentators, theologians, people who study the Bible that would, that would still agree with that type, of, uh, that type of teaching around it, but most completely disagree with that. And I'll tell you where I'm at. I completely disagree with it. Because Jesus is not trying to create this application where he's saying, I would rather you hate me or love me. That's not what he's saying. 
We're going to talk about this in a minute because this is an important clarification. And when we get into it, it might blow your mind like it blew mine away as well. But I want you to know, uh, we're, going to, we're going to flip the script on some stuff. Does that work for everybody? And he says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> for you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So that I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So can we just stop here for a second? Just work through the scripture. Just so we're all very clear and aware. The Bible tells us that God disciplines us because he loves us. And this is an important distinction to make right now because we're living in a generation that sees discipline as an overt space of non-love. The Bible actually tells us when God disciplines, when he challenges, when he gives stuff to us this way, he's actually loving us the best way possible. So as many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Today, as we continue on in our series, War Horses, I want to speak to you from the subject of Risen Savior and the report card of a church as we look today at the church at Laodicea. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. So God, here's what I ask today, that you'd move me out of the way, and that every single one of us in this room today would hear your voice. We love you and we honor you. We thank you for your word. We submit ourselves to it today. Speak to us now. We're listening in Jesus' mighty name. Come on and everybody shouted. My son is uh, getting bigger. This is going to be deep, but parents, how many of you know, they grow. I'm tempted to stop feeding him. And so, um, so the other night, this, is, this has been happening. My, my boy has a few airsoft guns in his room. And so because he's growing and, and because uh, we're getting into this space where he's approaching teenage land and his father's exerting energy in such a way to let him know who will continue be, to be the boss in the house. I'm sneaking around as we get ready to put him to bed, and uh, as he's getting into bed, I'm sneaking his airsoft gun, and then like hiding, and then shooting him when he doesn't see me coming. It's been a, it's been a fun exercise. <laughs> and so he's gotten smart, so he started hiding his airsoft guns. And in various places and spaces, the other day he pulled one out from underneath his pillow. Um, to surprise me when I came in in the room. This, this little man, um, him and I started wrestling the other day because I got a hold of one of the guns. And so he started wrestling me for it. And we got into like a really good wrestling match. And now, like when I was trying to, he's lanky. He's got really long arms, really long legs. Everything connects. His legs connect to his neck. And so um, there's nothing in between. And so we were wrestling the other day and it was one of those moments, dads, how many of you know what I'm talking about? One of those moments when you're, when you're engaged with your child this way, especially dads, if you've, if you've engaged with your boy this way, as I'm like wrestling him, I'm also like, 
I'm, I'm inside, I'm getting like more and more sad because I'm realized like my boy is growing. And so I was like having like a, like an existential crisis as I'm wrestling him. Cause I'm like, this is fun. Ah! Like, like, <laughs> it's just this really hard moment in, in my life. And so, but as I'm wrestling him, I realized that we're stretched out to this degree. And I'm like, man, this kid is, is big. And so he pulled this ninja move where I was trying to get the gun. He somehow unlocked the clip where all the bullets were. So they would all come falling out. He did it. And then he got up, stole and like got out and he ran out and he started laughing at me. <laughs> And then this is what he decided to do. He ran upstairs, and as he ran upstairs, he's like, Dad, I beat you. He's telling Mom, I beat, I beat you, Dad. I beat you. I beat you. And of course, I said, no, you didn't win at all. Here's the truth. He won. <laughs> and I was so mad. I was so irritated, like frustrated inside. And so I was walking around, nah, he didn't beat me. And he's trying to tell his mom. And, and I was like, nah, he didn't beat me. I, I clearly won that fight. And the truth was, my pride wouldn't let me say otherwise. No matter how much I, I wanted to say it, I couldn't because there's this thing inside of me. Because if I, if I give him an inch, he's going to take a mile on it. Right? How many of you agree with me that pride is something that exists in all of us? Come on, show, show of hands, how many of you would say at one moment or another you've been a prideful person? Like the therapy session, let's get it all out on the table. Look at a room full of not perfect people. Welcome to church, okay? But pride is something that we don't focus on that much. And, and the church at Laodicea, if we were to really boil it all down, they were dealing with an issue of pride. Now, pride's not one of those sins that gets talked about so much because we look at a lot of the big external ones, and we deal with that a lot. But there's something that sits inside of all of us and, and our churches that, if we're not careful, is, is, more, is more destructive and has a tendency to, to beat things down more than any other thing, and that is the issue of pride. Pride stops us from doing a lot of things. See, God desires to do in each of our lives, families, and relationships, and churches this thing where he extracts pride, because I would submit to you today that pride is one of the greatest reasons that these things break down. See, the reason that pride is so destructive is because it's an internal issue. How many of you agree with me? We can hide it. And left unchecked, eventually it will corrupt who we are on the outside as well. That's what's sneaky about pride is it gets us on the inside and then it will corrupt the outside. We don't see it coming. It sneaks up on you. 17th century pastor Richard Baxter said it like this. He said, self is the most treacherous enemy and the most insinuating deceiver in the world. Of all other vices, it is both the hardest to find out and the hardest to cure. Dr. Joel Beek, president of the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, writes this. He says, pride is a devastating sin and is complex. Most sins turn us away from God, but pride directly attacks God. It lifts us, listen to this, it lifts us above and against God, seeking to dethrone him by enthroning ourselves. My favorite author, C.S. Lewis, we've heard from him a lot in this series, put it ever so eloquently when he wrote this. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. 
As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So if we step back for a moment, we begin to see the issues that affected each of these churches. And they present a warning to each of us personally and as communities of faith at large. Ephesus, we see the distracted church. Pergamum was the compromising church. Thyatira was the tolerant church. Sardis was the dying church. And Laodicea was the prideful church. So what made Laodicea prideful? How did they find themselves in the condition to which Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth? Let's talk about Laodicea a little bit. According to history, and I quote from the New Bible Commentary, Laodicea was situated on the bank of the river Lycus. Its position at the junction of three imperial roads traversing Asia Minor favored its development as a wealthy commercial and administrative center. Three facts are known throughout the Roman world about the city, and it's this. It was a banking center whose banks even Cicero recommended for exchanging money. It manufactured clothing clothing and woolen carpets made especially from glossy black wool of sheep that were located locally. And it had a medical school and produced medicines, notably an eye ointment made from a pulverized rock in the area. This is all going to be very important as we get further into the scripture. This once great city was situated in the Lycus River Valley, which was overshadowed by 8,000-foot mountains to the south and to the north, a less defined range, but one that was characterized as the Cotton Castle because of the mineral sediment that would collect on the mountain edges. Let's throw up our map again, uh, guys, so that we can see in relative idea to to where these churches were located. So we've gone through these churches next weekend as the two last churches. They were the churches that were only given positive commendations. But Laodicea is found right over here in this this map for us. Named after his first wife, Laodice, the city of Laodicea was given new life after an investment made by Antiochus II in 261 to 246 BC. Previously, it had been known as Distopolis and Rhodes due to the Greek gods that were worshipped there. Let's throw up some pictures for us to see this beautiful topography. This is where the church at Laodicea was at. Beautiful architecture. Laodicea's pride, they'll just keep flashing through these. Laodicea's pride is captured in this quote from author Beasley Murray. Listen to what he says. Laodicea's position at an intersection of three imperial trade roads favored its development as a commercial and administrative center. In Roman times, it became the wealthiest city in Phrygia, so that when it suffered all but total destruction by an earthquake in AD 60, it refused the offer of imperial aid, which other similarly affected cities were glad to accept. In other words, when this earthquake happened, Laodicea was so wealthy that when somebody wanted to come to their aid, they would not receive the finance necessary to help build. Everybody shout pride. There was something that was beginning in them during this this season. This is important because it's telling of the heart, the attitude, and the disposition of both the city and the church within the city. The Laodicean church was influenced by the culture and the attitude of the city rather than being an influence upon the city and its people. And this would be why the inference was made about them being lukewarm. I want us to hear this today. It's really important that we as churches make sure that we are people who influence our city rather than become influenced by our city. 
But there's an even greater significance to the, to the commentary concerning the Laodicean church being lukewarm, and it has to do with topography, a unique topography of the area and the surrounding cities of Laodicea. Is this all right for everybody still? Just doing a little context, a little history. So one of the cities, Colossae, 10 miles to the south, tucked up against the 8,000-foot mountain Cadmus, is where we would find this great city. We know about Colossae due to the ministry work that Paul the Apostle would be a part of within the city, and more specifically, the letter that would be written that we find in our New Testament. And we know that Laodicea and Colossae have connected tissue because of what Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. Watch this. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. This is the closing space of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling with you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. Come on, somebody. For I I testify about him that he works hard for you. For those in Laodicea, and for those in Hierapolis, every shout Laodicea. Laodicea. Every shout Hierapolis. Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas sends you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea. So here's a communication that's taking place between these two cities. And to Nymphia and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also to the church of the Laodiceans. So here's what Paul's saying. This is why it's important to trace scripture. Paul is saying this letter, this, this letter that he's written to the Colossians, I want you to read it to the Laodiceans. And then he mentions this other place, Hierapolis. This is important in the lukewarm, cold, and hot section. And this is why. It would be the city of Colossae that the church at Laodicea would think about as they read the words and heard the words being read to them in Revelation about being cold. You see, Colossae was known for a particular spring of water, cold water, that flowed from the side of the nearby mountains. It boasted to be the finest supply of water in the region. To this day, visitors can drink from this spring. Laodicea, in knowing this, would complete an aqueduct system that would bring water from that region to their city. The problem was that by the time the water reached Laodicea, It had become tepid and full of mineral sediment, and no longer cold, it would become lukewarm, and no longer containing its refreshing qualities of the once cold mountain spring water that it had at its origination. This would be such an aqueduct. Hierapolis, on the other hand, to the northwest about five miles away was this city. Hierapolis would be famous for the opposite type of water. Hierapolis was home to mineral-rich hot springs that were said to have healing qualities due to the minerals that were contained within the springs itself. The team's going to show you what these look like. This will blow your mind. Hierapolis would be who the Laodiceans would think about as the same aqueduct system would be used to bring water from city to city. However, by the time the mineral water from Hierapolis would reach Laodicea, the once hot and mineral-laden water would be found tepid and lukewarm, no longer containing its purifying character and unable to be used as originally intended. 
The indictment brought upon the Laodicean church was not about being hot as in good or being cold as in bad. It was actually quite the opposite. Jesus was using a double positive to expose the negative in Laodicean. Because you are not hot, you do not have the purifying and healing qualities that they have in Hierapolis with the water there. And because you are not cold, you are not refreshing and life-giving, but rather being lukewarm and prideful, you are not useful for anything and therefore you must be spat out. It's amazing what we can learn from dirt. And that's why it's so important to understand this. And this is why this piece of scripture, when understood correctly, helps us understand something. That God has called us, and, and this, would be, uh, this would be metaphorically speaking, but he's called us to be hot. That we can actually be a purifying type of people in the world that we live in. Or he's called us to be cold, refreshing and giving life. But to be lukewarm because we are self-sufficient. To be lukewarm because we are prideful. To be lukewarm because we think we have it together makes us good for nothing in the world that he's called and it says that we would be spat out. The lukewarm state of Laodicea was a product of their pride. One author says it like this, we are more influenced by the logic of self-sufficiency than we admit. He goes on to write, this influence is compounded when we fail to realize that self-sufficiency is a code word for pride. I love that. And then he says this, pride thrives when it can hide behind safe-sounding words. In other words, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I got it all together. My bank account's in check. My clothes are in check. My career's in check. My life's in check. Everything's in check. I'm self-made. Safe words for pride. See, pride is a a superiority issue. And this is why in the first few verses that we just read, they're really important for us, is Jesus identifies himself in a very specific way. Y'all with me still this morning? And so this is why we're going to stay right here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, because It's Jesus' summation of himself that helps us understand this pride issue once again. This is what he says. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, write this down if you're taking notes today, introduces us to three, what we call three Christological assessments concerning Jesus. The first one is this. He says, I'm the amen. Come on, someone shout amen. Amen. Come on, someone shout amen. 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 He says, I'm the amen. What does that mean? Jesus is saying this, everything finds its completion or fullness in him. So you can't be prideful if you understand that completion isn't found in you. You don't create it. You don't make it. You didn't put the stars in the sky. I didn't make the the earth move in its accident. I didn't make the dirt. I didn't separate water from land. So Jesus says, just so we're all very clear, I am the amen. Everything finds its fullness in me and everything finds its completion in me. But then he doubles down and he says, I'm the faithful and true witness. What's he saying? He says, I'm the fullness and arbiter of all truth. He's saying, you don't get your truth. You don't don't get to create truth. 
You don't get to define truth. Why? Because I am the faithful and true witness. The third thing he says in in just this short moment, he, he says, I'm the originator of God's creation. I'm the originator of God's creation. I'm the OG. This is Trinitarian in nature, supporting the truth that Jesus was before creation. And this is important, that Jesus wasn't a creation of creation. Jesus was before creation, that he helped author creation. This is really important for us because there's other faiths in the world that would say that Jesus was a created being. No, no, no. He was before all things. Paul's going to write that to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1. And he's going to say, just so we're clear, Jesus was before all things. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God before all things. And by their word, everything was formed. This is important for us. The preacher's commentary would add comment to this as it states, Jesus Christ is prior to the creation, and in the mystery of the holy fellowship of the triune God, the created order has come into being because of Jesus Christ. He is the very word, the very decision of God by which the created order has come into existence. It's deeply theological in these, in these verses, Deep, deeply doctrinal in these verses. So why is this important for us to understand? Write this down if you're taking notes today. Because pride is always a direct assault on these truths concerning Jesus. When we are prideful, let's go at it this way. When we are prideful, we become our own amen. When we are prideful, we become our own faithful and true witness. When we are prideful, we put ourselves in the seat of originator. I made this. I did this. See, when Jesus speaks about himself in these particular pieces of Scripture, he's affirming who he is. So why does this happen with pride? Three reasons. If you're taking notes today, I would love for you to write these down. What, 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 what happens in pride? What's, what's going on here? Well, here's the first one. Pride refuses to acknowledge God's superiority in our lives. Pride refuses to acknowledge God's superiority in our lives. That's the wrong slide, guys. Pride refuses to acknowledge God's superiority in our lives. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. So this is what happens with pride. Pride makes these things happen in our lives. Second thing that pride does is that pride causes an overvalued assessment of ourselves. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, now, here's the truth. God doesn't want us to have a complex where we think that low is me, and I, and I, and I grovel at myself, and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm such a horrible person. Like, that's not what God wants. But the other thing that God doesn't want is he doesn't want us to believe so much of ourselves that we place ourselves above him. Does that make sense? I actually take confidence in his lordship in my life. My greatest degree of confidence that I will ever have is not because I've made me, but because of who God has made me. My confidence comes from the Lord. And so I stand confidently with my shoulders up knowing I'm a man of God, not by way of my performance, but by way of his character. That I can be the father that I'm called to be, not because of me, but because of what he inputs into me. I can be the husband, I can be the leader, 
can be, I can be, I can be. Not because I can do it, because Jesus is doing it in me. So pride causes, but when I have pride, it causes an overvalued assessment of ourselves. Here's the third thing that pride does, is that pride removes Jesus from the interior of who we are. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is the picture that Jesus wants us to have about this issue. So the church of Laodicea, I want you to get this, the church of Laodicea had, because of their pride, removed Jesus from the interior of who they were. And Jesus is knocking at the door of their hearts constantly. Hey, will you let me in? 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 And I think one of the greatest issues that's facing us, especially in this generation right now, is that many of us have moved Jesus from the interior of who we are, thinking that we're the driver of our vehicle. But here's what I love about Jesus. He stands there and knocks. Just knocks. He doesn't give up. He doesn't walk away. He knocks. You know those people that come and knock at your door? And they keep knocking. You know what I'm talking about? One came up to our door the other day. We have a window. And she, like, looked in my window. I was like, it's time for frosted glass. I was like, the audacity. I thought about it the other day, and I was like, I think Jesus is doing the same thing. He's like, hey. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Come on, anybody know what I'm Right, like, you're going to let me in. Like, I, I'm right here. So pride pushes Jesus out from the interior of who we are. So then how do we deal with pride? I know a lot of information today, but it's all contained right here. How do, how do we deal with pride? If that's pride, you ever thought, well, how do I deal with it? Because like many other things that we deal with in the sin category, how many of you agree with me? It seems like it's easier to find like, ways to do it. Right? Ways to like, how do I get this thing figured out? It's, it's pretty cut and dry, but pr- pride's a weird one. Like, how do, how do I deal with pride? Do I walk around and just say, like, if somebody's like, just, have you ever had somebody say, that was so good, and you're like, it's all glory to Jesus. <laughs> right? Because I don't want to be, I don't want to be prideful. Somebody taught me a long time ago, they're like, hey, just, you don't own it, but just say, hey, thank you. Appreciate that. And you walk away. Pride is not thinking less of yourself. Pride, pride like the, the getting away from pride is not like thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about him more. But I don't need to reject certain things. I can walk around and re- my confidence is in God. Pride's a very different thing than confidence. Y'all with me still? So how do we deal with this, this pride issue? Well, Revelation chapter 3 verse 18 tells us how. And it's weird. It doesn't make sense to us. So he says this, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. And ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. That's the antidote for pride. Gold, white clothes, and ointment. There you go, church. We have some in the lobby for you as you leave. 
<laughs> Could you imagine? That'd be awesome. Like, what am I? What is this? What happened at church today? <laughs> so, so Jesus says these things. What does he mean? Well, as we study scripture a little bit deeper, we, we figure it out. So I want to take the remainder of our time today just to look at these three things really quickly and a little bit deeper in order to understand how we deal with the pride in our lives. Number one, need your help? Every shout number one. Here's the first thing. There must be a change in securities. There must be a change in securities. Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, I advise you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Simply put, Jesus was saying you must exchange what makes you feel secure for security in me. Jesus was saying that he must again become the source. The issue was not in the gold in and of itself. The issue was the pride that crept into their hearts as they came to believe that they were the purveyors of their own security and stability. You ever been there before? One of the most insidious things about pride is that it falsely convinces us that we have more power over our lives than we do. It convinces us that we can control things, that we can manipulate things, and that we can adjust the outcomes of our lives. Can I just tell you one of the most freeing things that you will ever hear, ever in, 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 in your life is this right here. You have no control. Some of us should be set free from that today. You have no control. I remember just before COVID, I know, think back for with me. Everybody's like, no, don't go there. I was sitting uh, in Colorado with about 17 other pastors. I kid you not, we're sitting around and we're talking, we're having a discussion about some stuff, and all of our phones started to go off at the same time. It was like we were all in the CIA. It was actually kind of an awesome moment. So assistants are calling, staff's calling, and everybody's like, what is going on? And it was in that like 48 hours that everything started to, like everything started to spin out of control. We're trying to catch flights. We're trying to get back home. All of us are trying to figure out how we're going to do church, do this, do that. And I remember thinking to myself on the plane ride home, I thought to myself, what is happening right now? All of our best laid efforts, everything that we were getting ready to go into in 2020, all the things, you all remember? All the things that we were excited about personally, corporately, in your families, in your life. And I sat there on the plane going, is it about to all change and end? And the answer to it was yes. Why? Because we have no control. And through those years, 2020 to even now, I'm once again reminded I have no control. I have no control. But isn't it interesting that we do a couple things when we figure out we don't have control? Some of us spin out of more control. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? You're like, I have no control? All right, full send, let's go. <laughs> You're just like, doesn't matter, nothing matters. Like, come on, how many of you know people like that? Everybody just look forward right now, just look forward. Like, if I have no control, then let's just light it all on fire. <laughs> can, we talk like, can we talk human today? Trust me, I'm like that sometimes. I'm like, well, all right, got no control. Let's just go. Let's all the stupid, harebrained ideas, let's just go for it right now. And then some of us, we go to the opposite end of it, and we try to, gar like, I have no control. Oh, watch me have control. <laughs> I, where are my control freaks in the room? Just show hands. Okay, where are my full send people? 
All right. This is a disaster um, <laughs> waiting to happen. But th that's, that's where we go. But then there is a third option, and it's not the balance of the two. You ever notice our third option and everything is always balance? How many of you agree with me? Balance doesn't exist. It's, it's a false truth. So you're like, well, if it, you know, I just heard a church, I can't light it all on fire. And apparently I'm not allowed to be a control freak. So what do I do? <laughs> Let's balance the two. Little fire, little freak. Like, <laughs> but just pull it in. No, that's not what he's saying. Jesus says, buy gold from me. That's been refined by fire. And figure out where your true security comes from. It's not a balance of fire or freak. It's finding myself in Jesus. He's not a balance of those two. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when everything is out of order, he is my order. When everything's in chaos, he is my strength. When everything is crumbling around me, he is the place that I anchor myself. And so I don't trust in any of these other things. I don't trust in the market. Doesn't matter. Politics, fame, fortune, da 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 you, you fill in all the blanks. Come on, somebody. My trust is in Jesus. He is my security. Come on, is anybody thankful for Jesus today? Number two, every shot number two? There must be a reorientation of affirmation. So he says, Revelation 3.18, white clothes, so buy from him white clothes, so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. What does this have to do with anything? This has to do with shame versus righteousness imputed by Jesus. I want you to hear this today. One of the greatest reasons that pride gets into us and becomes us is because of its ability to help us mask the shame in our lives. Pride is one of the greatest tools that we use in order to mask shame. Pride ends up becoming a self-produced affirmation used to hide the shame that we actually feel about ourselves. The nakedness that is produced when we look at the sin and brokenness in our lives. Am I talking to anybody in church today? Let me say it this way. Pride is a drug used to hide the pain of my shame. It's what I go after when I'm left naked and exposed. So you had an entire church, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I need, you to, I need you to get dressed differently. I need you to not try to affirm yourself by putting on pride. I need you to have your affirmation come from me, so put on something else. Be purified by me. And this is where the shame issue plays out. In other words, there's a right and a wrong way to deal with shame in our lives. Pride is the wrong way. So Jesus says, dress differently. Put something else on. Instead of the fine linens that you can buy in the markets of Laodicea, put on the white linen garment of righteousness only found in me. Don't clothe yourself with the world. Don't try to make yourself look like something that you're not. What if we just truthfully allowed ourselves to be exposed to God, to say, God, I am fully aware that without you, I live a shameful and broken life. So I need your affirmation. Dress me differently. And I find my affirmation in you. Number three, last one is this. Every shot, number three. There must be a renewal in the way that we see. Revelation 3.18, an ointment, so he says gold, clothes, 
And then he says, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. You know, what's really interesting is that in Laodicea, one of the things that it was known for was an ointment, as we read earlier, was an ointment that was produced by the smashing of certain rocks that were in that region. So they would smash the rocks and they would create an ointment that, became, that it became famous for, for its medicinal purposes and its healing. So here, here's what we're looking at. See, pride is once again that place where we source ourselves. We source our own healing. So Jesus is dealing with a sight issue with the church at Laodicea, and the sight issue was this, is that they could not, they did not have the self-awareness or the sight to be able to recognize that they were in a bad spot. And so Jesus says, you don't need to go to the Laodicean medical center to get this ointment that's produced here. You need a different ointment to place on your eyes so that you can see. You find your healing in me. There must be a renewal in the way that we see things. This is the Laodicean church. We must change where we find our securities. And I'm going to just tell you this prophetically, if you would allow me to this morning, church. As we've been praying and we look at the next 10 years as a church and as a culture, as a society, can I just tell you right now that I fundamentally believe there has to be a change of securities in our life. I know, we hope, we wish, we pray that the world's going to get easier and better. Scripturally, we're told that it's not. I know, K-Love moment right there. Positive encouraging. <laughs> Welcome, Chris Tomlin. <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> I'm actually greatly encouraged by it. Why? Well, because of what the church, what the church is told in Laodicea. Your, your security is not in the stuff around you. Oh, it's going to get harder? Great. Jesus. It's going to look bad? Jesus. I might lose some stuff? Jesus. I'm going to feel insecure? Jesus. Like, it, it's not going to get easier, but oh, it's going to get more beautiful. So we need this. We all make mistakes. We all jack things up. I've got shame. You've got shame. So stop trying to hide it with pride and make ourselves look better. Why don't we receive the righteousness that is found in Jesus and clothe myself with that? I'm a broken man who fails at times. And there's two options. I can, woe is me, I'm so horrible, I'm so horrible. Or I can clothe myself as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Not of my own ability and works, because of what is found in him. And then I need to see things differently. I need to put a different ointment. I'm not going to be able to get that. My healing does not come from the world around me. How many of you know, maybe you're experiencing these praise reports. Some of you received this week and will receive this year and over the years to come reports that you never thought you would receive. It's terminal. Nothing's going to take care of it. And the question is this, is do we, do we find ourselves in a state where we, we, because we have no control over this thing, we try to either freak out or just throw it all away, or do we see things differently and go, God, if this is your will, I align my perspective with you. And even if this is terminal, I trust you with eternity. But until then, I'm going to pray with everything that I am, and I'm going to believe, come on, in the miracle-working 
power of Jesus. Come on, if anybody's thankful for Jesus, can we give him praise? Come on. I want to invite everybody to stand to your feet. I want to invite us into prayer in this moment. Bow your head, close your eyes with me today. Jesus. Listen, I don't know what brought you in here. I don't know what's going on in your life, but here's what I do know. You're not in here by accident today. And for some of us, God's already dealing with with who we are and where we are at in our lives. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I I wanna invite us to pray a very important prayer today, especially those of us today who would say, man, Jason, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about, but I not only wanna know him, but I wanna follow him. I need him in my life. I wanna submit my life to him. If that's you today, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with us today. We're gonna pray what we call the prayer of salvation. And there's nothing fancy in these words, but rather the heart from which these words come today. And if you'd be saying today, man, Jason, this is me. I wanna, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I want him in my life. I wanna accept his gift of grace and the eternity that's found in him. Make this your prayer today. Come on, as loud as we can so we don't leave anybody out. Would you repeat this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now, and I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Today, I'm letting go of my ways, and I'm following your ways. In Jesus' mighty name, 